Good afternoon and welcome to the first installment of the Mid-Hudson Intergroup series that we're calling Trudge Talk, Conversations Along the Broad Highway. Before we begin, would anyone who likes please take a moment to join us in the serenity prayer. God, God grant me the serenity, the serenity to accept the things accept the that things I, cannot, I change, cannot change, the courage, courage to change, to change the things, things that the things I, can, I can, and the wisdom, and the to, wisdom know the to know the difference. I will not mind them. Our topic for this inaugural Trudge Talk is in honor of Unity Day, which, according to OA, occurs on the last Saturday in February in even years and the last Sunday in February at odd years. Unity Day, as defined by OA, is a day to celebrate the connection of all members and groups of OA to one another. When we sat down to discuss a topic for a trudge talk in honor of Unity Day, what came up was um, the idea of many symptoms, one solution. And that is actually the name of a pamphlet that OA has put out, Many Symptoms, One Solution. And part of that reads, um, the membership of Overeaters Anonymous is varied, both in its makeup and in the eating behaviors and experiences that brought each individual to OA. It goes on to say, in Overeaters Anonymous, you'll find members who are extremely overweight, even morbidly obese, only moderately overweight, average weight, underweight still maintaining periodic control over their eating behavior and totally unable to control their compulsive eating. Remember, the only requirement for OA members is a desire to stop eating compulsively. In that spirit, for Unity Day, common, many symptoms, a common solution, we have invited Melissa C. and Jen F to discuss their different experiences in the disease of compulsive overeating and the common solution that they both practice. Thank you, Melissa and Jen, so much for your service today. To begin, we'd like to ask you both to qualify. And um, when you need your photos up, I'm ready to go with either, just let me know. Should I start? I think okay. that's a great idea. All right, hi everyone, happy Unity Day. So good to see you all. Um, yeah, I am supremely grateful to be here to be a recovered compulsive overeater today. Uh, I can't really believe that I can say that still um, because I truly, uh, I truly was beyond human aid. I was very much beyond human aid. I used food like a drug and I was in bondage to food, thinking about what I was going to eat nonstop, how I was going to manage it, what I was going to do to get rid of food, what I was going to do to get food. Always thinking about ways to manage or compensate for my overeating. Um, I was unable to manage my, I was unable to uh, manage my emotional nature. I had crying jags. Um, 
thought that you would eat if you had my life too. And today I live free and am recovered. I have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. The book says that best. Um, I've had a deep and effective spiritual experience and it has revolutionized my whole attitude towards life, my fellows, my family, especially my husband, you'll hear more about that, towards God's universe, and yes, even food. Um, so since today is Unity Day, I wanted to um, start with saying, I think I'm supposed to be the high bottom, which I think is really funny, because to me, it's not a high bottom. My highest weight, I've been in program for about 20 years. I came in, um, my first meeting, I was like newly out of college, and I was doing the same old thing, which I would do, which was like, I would um, go to the ice cream place in Brookline, Massachusetts, and then I would go to the Brookline Booksmith and I would read the self-help aisle. It was like I would manage my, it was like a, it was like a purification after I ate. And um, I was not, so I wasn't a huge binger all the time. I did binge. I was definitely, I binged regularly, but it was more like I had an IV drip of food coming into my veins, like drip, 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 drip throughout the day. I wouldn't even say I was a grazer. It was like I swung from vine to vine, like, okay, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? I'll get a bagel. I'll get an ice cream cone. I'll get a, so um, I was definitely a binger too. I'm equal opportunity, <laughs> but um, I used a lot of methods and I'll talk more about that to control my food. I remember in, as early as, you know, in college going to the cafeteria and having a tray um you know at the cafeteria and i would always bring like a glass of some gross juice like because then when i was done like when i wanted to say i'm done i would douse my food with juice and i was like a smart 20 20 year old or 19 year old and i remember sitting here with my friends who i was trying to impress and fit in with and they're like what's with the juice jen like why are you pouring why are you stopping yourself from eating. Um, when I was in my 20s, before I came to OA, I remember sticking after a binge um, and an exercise thing, I just I stuck a wooden spoon down my throat to try to make myself throw up. And thank God I couldn't do it. But that got me serious. And that got me to OA because I was like, Oh, God, this is morphing, you know, and I believe it would continue to morph today. Um, so, you know, I and you know, I want to say this in honor of Unity Day. So like, I thought even so when I was in my 20s, right, I thought, well, surely I can't do this until I meet a guy and I've had a normal dating thing and you don't weigh your food on dates and you've got to be able to drink. So I'm just going to put this off until I'm older. Right. And then but then, you know, at the same time, I remember there was this 46 year old woman once who said in a meeting that she was 14 years in program and wasn't absent. I was like, oh, my God, why hasn't she gotten it together yet? Like it went both ways. It was like. I so I thought, well, I can't do it then. And then I did get a husband. And thank God I when I met my husband, I was abstinent. So it was a clear thinking time. But I got married and then it was like, well, I can't really do it now. You know, I always had this denial. And now I've got young kids. And when I was struggling in the disease as late as last year, it was um before I recovered in the summer. I, you know, it was like, well, I can't do this when I have young kids. Like this is crazy. This is a crazy time to recover or abstain and the truth is like that's my disease my disease always wants to kick the can you know to another day another time it's going to get easier it's going to get easier to abstain and the truth is if you have this thing it's like it, regardless of your age or what it's manifesting as um 
this is the only solution. This is the only solution. The only time that I was content and able to experience satisfaction and peace was when I abstained. So it's really only in the past, um, you know, since last August that I have felt really free. I definitely, as I said, I was in program for, um, for years and for the past, most of the past 10 to 20 years, I mean, no, most of the past 20 years, I've been up and down 10 to 20 pounds. So maybe, thank you. So Amy, could you show my pictures? So this was my highest weight and this was like in my 20s and I was about 30 pounds more than I am now. I think that is very different from who I am now. Like, I just feel like I looked and felt like I was, forget about the, like, the weight size, just like I felt like I was 150 years old and I was probably 21 in these pictures. Um, so you can take that down again. <laughs> Those are so sad. But I was, you know, that was, that was me trying, that was me exercising a lot, you know. So I want to talk about some of the methods I did, because a lot of what I did after I came into program was what I call damage control eating. It was pressing the beach ball, as we hear, of like under the water, and then every once in a while it would pop up. But I was using the food plan like a diet. I was using very strict sponsors like a diet. Um, I tried every variation of program, all the different A's, you know, for food. Um, I tried different food plans. I tried different sponsors. I tried the kindest sponsor in the room, the most spiritual sponsor in the room. I tried the scariest, craziest sponsor in the room. That was a big one. Like, oh, if I get her, look, I'll be so friggin' scared. I will not eat a pea. Um, none of that worked. Um, I I truly believe that, like, if I were sponsored by Mother Teresa or Hitler or Bill Wilson, Bill Wilson himself, if I I was not ready until I was done, you know, and I wasn't done and out of ideas until last summer. I don't know why, but that's just how it was. Um, I went to a moderate kneeling women's retreat and stocked my freezer with ice cream to make sure I wasn't deprived. That didn't work. I went to therapists. I love therapy. Therapy does not work for this for me. One therapist told me my parents, I ate because my parents are Irish immigrants and come on, the Irish potato famine, you've been hungry for centuries, people. And I was like, oh, that's it. And I really left that appointment thinking, I understand myself now. Now I understand. And I just went on and ate. Um, I tried intermittent fasting, macro counting, macrobiotic, raw, vegetarian, vegan. I tried 5 a.m. boot camp, silent meditation retreats, including one for five days of silence. I did a seven day detox where they took away my phone. I did yoga and I became a yoga instructor. Didn't work. Still ate bagels. I went to different churches. I literally went to a Baptist church thinking like maybe I just need to like get in with these ladies who like loved me. Like I just was seeking and seeking and seeking. I did a colon cleanse with my husband. I'll spare you the details of that. I recall being sick once and thinking, oh, that's it. Like, I just need to get a really serious illness. Thanks. Um, I read all of Oprah's magazines and books. I bought a juicer. Didn't work. In 2017, after I tried working the steps with Melissa, I went to a weekend retreat of a group within OA that, I, that adheres to a very strict way of being. And I thought, this is, this is going to be like my coming to. This is going to be like a baptism by fire. But I left the campus of that weekend retreat to eat ice cream and smoke cigarettes at night. And I had a child at home by this point. So the stakes were increasing. So the moral of the story is really that you can never get enough of what you really don't need. I can never get enough of what I really don't need. And I tried and I tried and I tried and I didn't need any of that. What I needed 
And what I didn't know I needed was power, capital P. I could not get access to power through a juicer. So, and those are just the food, like that's just the food and the methods I use to control it. And that's just some of the methods. Um, my relationships suffered too. Um, so page 66, I just want to read this because this so gets it. It is plain to conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us ever got. The usual outcome was that people continued to wrong us and we stayed sore. Then it says further down, it is plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness to the precise extent that we permit these, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile. So I had grown up in a large family, um, short, like long story short, I grew up with a lot of dysfunction and anger and I thought they wronged me. Then I got married and I thought my husband wronged me. Um, my bottom came this summer when I found myself, you know, after having two miracle children who I prayed for and survived a lot of miscarriages to have, um, my bottom came this summer when I found myself yelling at those miracle kids and constantly restless, irritable, and discontent. My husband could do no right. He didn't help me enough. And when he did, it was the wrong way. Um, you know, I noticed a lot of things. I'm a big noticer. I noticed how he opened packages like a bear, like right from the middle. Like it's like living with a wild animal. You can't actually close them shut. I noticed that when he rolls the socks together, like they're just not that they don't match. Like he just would roll like a pink and a purple sock. And I was like obsessively focused on what he could and couldn't do. My older daughter called him last summer. She called him the king of silly because he's always singing and joking. And I asked her what I was once, you know, fishing. And she said I was the queen of madness. Now, that is accurate. And Alyssa's laughing because I remember telling her that. I think I was like already in the steps when she said this. So it was, and it was true. I was, I was always angry, but I was also crazy mad. You know, I was always mad. I was obsessively busy, then exhausted. I was tired, but wired. I had crying jags. There was a lot of tension. I was mothering. I was manipulating. I was controlling. I was searching the internet constantly for answers, mindless Facebook and Amazon sprees, not present, sucking lemons face all the time. I was running around like a football coach trying to quarterback my family, like, hut, 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 like, everyone move to your place. Like everyone, it was not calm. Um, and then I went through the steps. Basically, I came to work with Melissa, and we'll talk more about this. I just want to wrap up. But I, uh, I was five days absent last August. It was like August 6th, I think. I was five days absent again. And I had been mostly abstinent from February of last year on. Um, but I kept breaking. I just kept breaking. Like I had three months and then I broke. And then I had, anyways, I, um, I came to work with Melissa and I was five days absent, but this time I knew like I am doomed. I knew I was going to eat again. So I texted her and then I called her and I was like, I need to work the steps. Hey, remember me from 2016? <laughs> still me, still screwed up with food. Um, and she was like, we'll talk more about this. But she was like, so what's your problem? You're like, at that point, I had no weight to lose. I had like maybe three to five pounds. She was like, so you're pretty thin and you've got, now you've got your miracle babies. Like, what's the problem? And I was like, I've got everything that I wanted and I'm still crazy. Like I'm still restless, irritable, and discontent. I'm still living like a werewolf in my home. You know, I'm okay one day. And then I'm like hairy and scary. <laughs> and I'm just like, rah. So um, 
and we went through the steps. We can talk more about that as part of this, but you know, the big thing was that I, um, you know, I stopped paying attention to the fact that like I had a big life and a successful career and had children. And I started paying attention to like this soul sickness, like getting clear that I am soul sick and I'm going to be soul sick my whole life if I don't address this. Um, so I turned my life over, you know, at some point, I, well, I'll just say now. So the first day that we worked together, um, I came on jam, which is the meeting that meets Monday and Thursday night at eight. And, uh, it was, it's a big book meeting for those who don't know. It's a great meeting. And the first night there was a, there were two women qualifying and I was like awestruck because, well, the first one was amazing. And then the second one gone. And I consider her like my fairy godmother in this program because Melissa is like, she's all right, you know, but then, <laughs> but then I hear this woman talking and literally her husband is banging dishes in the kitchen. She's speaking to a hundred people and her husband is banging dishes. And she's just like, Oh, that's just my husband, Dean. And I was like, Dean is being really friggin' loud. Like, I'm just thinking if that were my husband, it'd be like, I'd be like shooting him. Like, don't you see what I'm trying to do here? And she was just like this. She had this great, like this perspective change that I wanted. And so that helped me like be motivated. Like I wanted to do this work. I wanted what these women had. So we can talk more about the work, but I, um, you know, hustling through the steps and getting, getting entirely absent, of course, first but then hustling through the steps, turning my will over, seeing where I am, where I am to, where I'm participating in my own um, problems, right? Like getting relief from my defects in six and seven and praying for that on a continual basis. That has been, you know, I get a lot of the times like what changed? Like what changed after 20 years? Like why now? And really it's because um, good information, information is not transformation, but learning that my problem was lack of power that was huge. It wasn't that I had the wrong food plan or the wrong sponsor. Um, entire abstinence, putting down the thing that I thought I couldn't live, couldn't live without. Um, working the stats, developing a prayer practice was huge for me. My sponsor helped me to like figure out I need to be specific with God and ask for specifics. And then, um, yeah, having the fellowship I crave, making amends, living through um, living a different way, like looking for the good, praying for the good, like no longer do I see my husband as an employee, right? He's my partner. And I, you know, I have to ask on a regular basis, like, God, please help me to um, thank you that you gave me a man whose strengths perfectly match my weaknesses, because they do. So I'm going to leave it there, because I want, I know we'll talk a lot more when we converse. So I'll leave it there. But thank you so much. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. Um, Melissa, would you like to qualify? And I have your photos to go up. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks so much. Thank you, Jen. That was just beautiful. Um, and I, you know, I just want to laugh. I just, when I, I, I want to laugh because, okay, so that's the high bottom, right? And, and I'm, I guess I'm the low bottom, right? And, um, and I think because um, visibly, I looked like a compulsive overeater, you know, and, and so I guess cue the pictures, right? That's a perfect segue into photos. Um, yeah, this is what it looks like, you know, for me, I wear my disease, it's visible. There's no hiding 
it, you know, it's right there. It's out there in the open. The first one, <clears throat> first of all, I've always been a compulsive overeater. Um, my first words were more. That's what I was told. And my siblings fed me bottles all night long. And um, so by the time I got married and had my daughter, um, I had lost and gained and lost and gained a number of times and I was on the gain again. So the first photo is me holding my brand new baby in the hospital and I thought for sure I would lose that weight. No doubt I was gonna lose that weight because that, you know, I, I, was, I had a new baby and of course I'm gonna lose the weight. I'm gonna be so busy <laughs> and I won't have time to eat. And, and what a fantasy that was because there I am in the pink in the next picture, my daughter's older now and I got larger. Like clearly I got much bigger. <clears throat> then there's a picture of me in the green. Um, and, uh, you know, I was losing again, you know, and there I am on the bottom with the red and I'm gaining again. And then I'm in the sunglasses and I lost some weight again, only to be putting it back on again for the next photo, right? And then if you scroll down, you go to the next series of pictures. Um, there was some more up and down and up and down and up and down. Um, the leopard sweater, um, I, that's probably the largest I got. I was over 300 pounds. I stopped weighing myself. Um, and that was about what fit me at that point. I didn't have much else that fit. Um, and my son was maybe a year, maybe a little bit more than a year or about a year. Um, and uh, that was about, you know, I, I could barely hold him because my body was just so um, heavy that it was physically difficult to hold my baby. And like, like Jen, he was my miracle. He came after a lot of loss and a lot of heartache in between my two children. I suffered tremendous loss. Um, so I wanted him more than anything and I couldn't hold him. I could barely hold him. Um, and when I was near him and holding him and with my kids, I was out of my mind. I needed to eat myself numb to function. Um, there I am in the green holding a glass and with my sisters and my sister-in-laws and I felt like a monster. I just felt, you know, I know they loved me. Um, I just felt like I was walking through life um, like, like just in someone else's body. Like I didn't feel at home in my own body. Um, and I kept dreaming of the day that it was gonna be different, you know? Um, in the top, in the gray dress, I was already recovered at that point, but my body hadn't caught up yet. I was at my daughter's bas mitzvah. It was an incredibly happy day. Um, and, you know, we had spent a fortune on this affair, this beautiful affair. And I couldn't believe, I was amazed by the fact that I was paying for all this food and I didn't, I didn't partake of, of the food. I had just abstinent food didn't drink, you know, um, and had an amazing, amazing time celebrating. Um, and then if you go to the last slide of pictures, that's pretty much me. That's me now. And, um, you know, the incredible thing is, yeah, yeah, I got, you know, my hair has changed colors, but, um, but other than that, like those dresses all fit me. I can go in the closet and pull them out and they fit me and I don't even have to try them on to tell you that I just know that. And that's never been my experience in my life. So that's for the, that's me in the photos. Um, thanks. And so, um, so what does it look like to be the low 
right? The bottom of the barrel kind of compulsive overeater. Um, for me, it meant that I was forever living um, my life half. I was living it um, someday when I. It was always someday when I. Um, and that that's how I sort of numbed my way through life. You know, um, I had two amazing children that I, you know, I loved, adored, husband, a good job, you know, all the qualities that would make a person's life happy. And I was destroying it. And I thought that my only problem was that I was overweight. That is it. And if I wasn't overweight, I would be just fine. My, my husband's going to do a Dean right now. <laughs> I'm laughing, Jen. And now I have to like, you know, now I got to do it right. But he's, he's going to keep talking to me. Um, so I thought, thanks, babe. He got, he got the signal. I was like, <laughs> I'm watching. I'm watching. <laughs> oh, no, gosh, you set me up. I got to do it well. <laughs> <laughs> I told you we were going to laugh. I knew we were going to laugh. Um, so, you know, I made it, actually, it's funny because my problem was always, I made a heavy go of living. That really was my problem. It, I had to consume a lot of food to manage, or what I thought manage, all those things that I had, all those gifts, all those wonderful things. I had to eat myself numb just to just to manage living life as a happy person. That's crazy, right? That here I was having all the qualities of a good life and the only way that I could stomach it was by eating myself numb. Um, you know, we today, my, you know, my husband is um, doing a home repair, like a home renovation for us. And he actually was rummaging, you know, through cleaning out some of the drawers um, and everything is on the counters right now. That's what cleaning looks like in this house. And um, I came across a photo. Now my husband took it out and he thought it was a happy occasion. And I looked at it and I remembered the horror of what it was like for me at that occasion. I wasn't even in the photo. It was at my daughter's fourth birthday party of which I used to have to create enormous productions because I need, you know, when you're walking around in a body that's over 300 pounds, for me, I had to fool everybody that I wasn't as screwed up as I appeared physically. So I was, I was on the leadership of everything. I had to be the leader of every committee. I was on the school leadership team. I wore that like a badge of honor. You know, I was the Girl Scout leader mom. I had to have the biggest Girl Scout events because I had to prove to everybody that I was not as messed up as I looked. Um, and I had to have birthday parties that were beyond, that were, and not for me, but for my kids. They were like, like productions that you could publish in a magazine. And it took so much eating for me to muscle my way through that day. And I thought, you know, sadly, I thought that was gonna make me feel a connection, right? We're talking about Unity Day. What was I after? I was after feeling like I fit, feeling like I belonged. But when you're busy making huge productions, actually, you don't fit. 
you actually are the person people um, don't really want to hang around because either you're killing them with your, you know, or don't you know all that I'm doing? Um, or you're like overly impressing them and they don't really feel much unified or community with you. You don't feel a, a sense of kinship with the woman whose birthday party for her kid has to outdo yours by a hundred miles, right? That's not how we feel united. And I had it all wrong. And it, for me, it took 300 pounds to drum that into my head. I didn't get it in a normal size body. I got it when I ate until my mouth bled. And that's really where I landed at the final days when I came back, like Jen, in and out, in and out. When I came back in again, I came back in, I was not at my top weight. I had lost some weight. I had an understanding of what it meant to, to get well and I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it because I missed, I missed that there was a power greater than myself that could do it. And that's what I found out. And he's gonna continue to yell at me, that's the point. So with that, I will pass and I'm gonna answer him. Thank you. Thanks, Melissa. Um, okay. I will actually, do you need a moment? Should we do the seventh tradition now instead? Okay, we're gonna do the seven tradition. Why don't you address and we will be right back. Um, we were gonna do this afterwards, but you know, we're all in this together. It's unity day. So we're gonna talk about the seventh tradition. Let me grab that link out of chat. This is a Mid-Hudson intergroup event. And um, we, our seventh tradition says that we are self-supporting. And um, while it is not by any means necessary, um, that link will give you both a PayPal and a form with mailing address if you wish to seventh tradition for this meeting and for the other content that Mid-Hudson Intergroup has put up. I'll also take this moment to talk about the podcasts. We are recording this event and um, we have recorded other events that we've done. We have them on a podcast. I'll post links to that as well. That is on our website and it's also available on um, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and on Podbeam. So many platforms at which you can listen to the recording of this event and others. Trudge Talk is a series in which we'll be having conversations, moderated conversations, and I'll share the future ones later. Melissa, welcome back. Okay, thank you both for qualifying. Um, it was wonderful to hear the story of what it was like from both of your perspectives. Um, I was, so we know that you work together and then you work together again. So how did you find each other? How did you find each other again? What was that? What was the initial conversation like the, the second time? Jen, you told it from your point of view. Maybe Melissa, we want to hear it from yours, but how did you get back together again? And how did you start working together? Hi, okay. 
All is well here. Thank you. Um, so, you know, I don't have, I mean, I have to say the first time Jen and I worked together, um, I don't remember it so specifically other than um, I, she wasn't willing. She did the, the, that, that, yeah, 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 I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. And then the sideways shuffle, that's what I call it. It's like that suddenly you don't hear from them as regularly, you hear like, oh yeah, I'm doing this. You hear a lot of self-will run riot, a lot of um, not following directions, but like giving them like, yes, I'm following your directions, but I'm gonna give my own directions here too. I think I have another way um, and then, and then the sideways shuffle, which is like, you just slinker off and disappear, right? And so I remembered that. And then I, and then I heard um, Jen, I heard from her again. And, um, and I believe, you know, she probably will say how she found me. Um, but I think it's probably from a common meeting that we attend by a phone meeting, right? And, um, and the second time, um, she sounded done, <laughs> perfectly unhappy, which is like when somebody calls, sometimes it's actually better when they're not um, heavy anymore. Sometimes it's great when they are heavy or when they have weight to lose, but sometimes it's actually better because they get the point, this isn't a diet. This is something much bigger than a diet. This is, my life is imploding. This is, I am miserable and, um, and that work is done outside. That actually, like there's nothing, I'm finding more and more, there is nothing that a sponsor can do or a fellow can do um, other than be there waiting for someone to have their own unscrewed moment. Like you can't, I found nobody could tell me that I was in trouble. Nobody could say you are, you are worse off than you think. Right. And I think um, that's been my experience with other people too. Everybody needs to have that own awakening, that own, like, you know, we call it like beating, right? The disease. So yeah. you heard the difference in her voice when she came to you that second time, or the difference in her language and her approach. There was a difference that she was done. So, Jen, you talked a little bit about this, but like you said, you had had multiple sponsors the tough one, the loving one, the whatever. When you were done, you reached out to Melissa. What, what quality was it in your understanding of being done and your understanding of? the way she works the program of recovery that made you make that second phone call the second time? Sure. Um, thank you, Oprah, for the question. I love this. I've always wanted to be on a show. Um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, I think back and I'm like 2016, all I remember, I feel like I was always willing, like I was always trying so hard, but then it would just eke away. Like I would be super willing and I'd be like, okay, I'm going to do all the homework. But then at some point I'd run out of willpower. Right. And it was because I wasn't, it was willpower. And then I'd be eating my face off. And that, um, I think when I, something about like last summer sitting on, like, I remember in June, I had broken my absence again, and I was sitting on the beach and my family is in the water 
And I know that there are scones in my mother's bag. And I remember furtively watching them and keeping my eyes hypervigilant, right? Hypervigilant that they have their backs turned so that I can eat these scones. And then them coming back up out of the water. And meanwhile, you know, I'm not in the water enjoying my family. I'm making out with these scones. And I'm the only one who's at the beat, you know, I'm the only one left there, but I leave like two bites. And then of course my mother comes right out and like goes looking for the scones. And I'm like, oh no, here comes that moment of pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization when she confronts me and is like, where's the scones, you know? But I, 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 like, I kept running into that feeling of like, I want to not be doing this. And I keep doing it, even though I'm mortified by myself, I'm ashamed, I have such self-loathing. Um, so I had all of that and I, yet I went back again to the sponsor I was working with because she was giving me 15 minutes a day and I was reporting my food to her and I'd call and I'd wrestle about and I'd try to be abstinent and I'd do a gratitude list. And, um, I just kind of got like, I don't know why it took like probably hundreds of times, maybe a thousand times getting abstinent for me to see this isn't going to work. Like this isn't, and I was starting to get to the point where I was apathetic that like, maybe I just, maybe this is my life. Like maybe I'm constitutionally incapable of being honest with myself. Maybe this is as good as it's going to get. And I have to start being okay with it. And my standards are too high or whatever. But I was like, you know, I, she had a message of depth and weight. Like, you know, Melissa had a message of depth and weight. And I just remember working with the sponsor And then on the side, like sneak cheating on my sponsor and calling Melissa and being like, okay, I'm five days absent. I really think I've got like a problem now. Like I really get it. I, you know, it's like the ABCs. I knew I was a food, like I knew I was compulsive of a reader and that I could not manage my own life. Like I could not manage, I could not manage eat, not eating that bag of scones. I could not manage when I got called, when my, you know, older daughter was sick at daycare. I could not manage not stopping at the ice cream drive-through, even though I did not want to, like that was eating beyond my own will, like beyond my, without my own permission. So I, um, I just saw, she had a message of depth and weight. Her weight meant nothing to me. It meant nothing to me because I mean that it was compelling, but like the fact that she was talking, like she was happy, you know, that was, yeah, that was interesting, you know, like just being free and happy. And I, I, I didn't care actually, like if I didn't lose the five pounds, right. It was like, not about the weight anymore. I just wanted to be free. So that was the difference for me. Thank you. Excellent. That's a wonderful answer. Um, and actually it leads right into what I was going to talk about next. So Melissa, when you were qualifying, you said, For me, it took 300 pounds. And Jen, when you were qualifying, you said I had three, maybe five pounds to lose. I had my miracle babies, everything I wanted. On the surface, very different situations. You've already spoken about this, but Melissa, another thing you said was that, you know, Unity Day is about looking for connections where does one start? I mean, we could talk about the big book and the narrative from which it comes to which we might not have on the surface similar conditions. So talk about how, what direction you both took, Jen, in terms of opening up 
your eyes to a new way of seeing things. And Melissa, in terms of leading um, from a perspective of a different symptom, but a similar uh, solution um, and experience. Can either of you speak to that? You want me to go? Okay. God, she's the boss. Like, this is like interesting, right? Because it's actually my sponsor I'm speaking with. So I kind of have to watch her eyes and she's like, you do it. Um, so yeah, so I think this comes from, there is a solution chapter two, right? Like, um, I'm like, so where is this here? The feeling of having shared, this is when it's talking about the shipwreck, right? The feeling of having shared in a common peril is one element in the powerful cement, which binds us, but that in itself would never have helped us, held us together as we are now joined. We have discovered a common solution. So the common peril, you know, um, I, yeah, I, I, I felt the common peril, right? I felt like we, I feel like we're very the same, you know, and this is kind of when we were thinking about this, we were talking about, well, what's the different way? And there really is no difference. Once you're beyond the first part of step one, like, like, and even that, like we are powerless, we're both powerless over food. It's just, you know, mine manifested differently and probably didn't look to some people or, or a lot of people didn't see what it was doing to me. Um, they also didn't know, you know, I know that I had three to five pounds to lose because I was nursing a baby still. And I knew it was coming around the mountain that this was, it was good, like, I wasn't going to be getting rid of all those calories that way. And I also wasn't going to be able to keep up all the exercise and all that. So um, I know, you know, if I let things go, I would have been much bigger than I was. Um, but the common peril, like we are the same, it's the same, it's the same restlessness, irritable, irritability, discontent, you know, it's the same feeling that when in disease, life was impossible. Um, so I'll stop there. Thanks, Melissa. Yeah, absolutely. So there are some things in the book that really speak to that for me as well. Um, and what like helped I think the identification too is um, we, you know, and this is in, there's a solution on page 25. We were in a position, it's the bottom paragraph. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible, right? Those were like, both of us were having lives that felt very impossible. And if we had passed into the region from which there's no return through human aid. So like, you know, I had tried everything from my own human power and from the power of other human beings. And so did Jen, right? Um, we had two alternatives. And I think that's really like where we, where we meet one another. It's like, okay, we, we both have two alternatives at this point. You wanna go to the bitter end, lining out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, and the other to accept spiritual help. And so, um, that it doesn't matter like where you are physically, visually um, to be in a spot where life is becoming impossible. And, um, and it's to accept spiritual help that we have to have a spiritual awakening. You know, the other thing that like really helps me um, that initial conversation, right? When someone comes in, regardless of what they look like is you know, you start asking like, um, and this is in we agnostics, because this is sort of to determine, do you need a spiritual, you know, do you need a spiritual awakening? Because this, these 12 steps, this is not a diet. 
club. This is not a calories club. This isn't weight, you know, this isn't Weight Watchers. This isn't a gym membership. This is, um, this is a power, you know, this is a problem that's beyond human aid and it's going to require an act of providence. It's going to require a miracle, right? So to determine if someone is in a position where they need a miracle in order to survive, mm -hmm. you know, you ask the question um, and we agnostics, it's right at the beginning. If when you honestly want to, right? You find you cannot quit entirely or if when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take, you're probably alcoholic. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. So the conversation is often like, well, do you wanna stop, first of all? Like, do, are, are you motivated to stop? And um, can you, have you tried it and can you, and what happens? You know, and hey, how about, by the way, what happens when you are playing with it a little bit? Can you, can you get away with it? You know, like sometimes you meet someone and they're like, yeah, I, I, have, I have a lot of weight to lose, you know, um, but, I, I'm, but I think I'm okay. You know, like I just have to lose weight. Like that's why you really can't even tell visually. It's, it's that, um, what happens once you start? You have any control? Can you dial it back down? You know, someone said like they know someone and they said their problem is, is that they always have the second helping. They can't keep themselves from having the second helping. Okay, that's great. Do you go back for a third? Are you grazing all night? Like, what does it look like after you have your two helpings of whatever that is? Um, and so I think that's, you know, that's somewhat of the conversation as well that helps, um, further, you know, clarify, do, are you in need of a miracle, right? And, um, and are you willing to go to any length to have that miracle? Um, yeah, thanks. Thank you, thank you. Very, very helpful information. So I wanna talk a little bit about something that both of you approached from different ways. So Jen, you were talking about how when you were most desperate, your life from the outside might've looked like a successful person with a you know, normal sized body. And Melissa, you were talking about your daughter's birthday parties and you were the queen of all the committees of perfect eventing leadership situations. I wanna refer back to the big book to a line from the doctor's opinion on page XIII where the doctor says, I attended a patient who, though he had been a competent businessman of good earning capacity, was an alcoholic of a type I had come to regard as hopeless. Can both of you speak to the concept of not only presenting as competent and still being hopeless, but also the work to, to present, how hard the work is to present as competent when you are hopeless. Can love to hear both of your perspectives on that. Sure, I'll go first. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, I was the first person in my family to go to college and graduate from college. And then I went to grad school and I I was raised on Tony Robbins infomercials. Like we didn't actually ever buy the CD or the tapes, I guess they were at the time. 
but it was like where there's a will there's a way and so I thought I just kept thinking if I apply myself harder then I will get this because I was honestly I was used to I put my mind to something, you know, it's, I don't know if it's the immigrant thing, the American thing, but it was like, I put my mind to something and then you just, you make it happen. You make it happen. You work hard and you get success. You get, um, you arrive. Right. And so my trajectory, I was just used to this trajectory, right? Like I do something and then I, like, I get better at it and I get better at it. And this was the area of my life where I, it was so frustrating. It was like, I feel like it was, I was, it was just like, I was constantly mortified that I could not get it together. Like get your SHIT together. I don't know if we can swear on your show, Oprah. <laughs> I don't know if the FTC monitors this, but um, get your shit together, get it together. You know, that's how it was. It was just this constant, like, I, like it was almost worse because everyone around me was thinking, well, I don't know what they were thinking, but I knew that like, here I was getting a claim from others. Um, you know, I, that was something I fed off. Like, like I was talking to Melissa the other night, like, it's like, I was a vampire, like vampiring esteem off people. Like if you have blood, like I have something to like, like, I need you to like me. I need you to approve of me. I need to get the A and that was like my solution to hating myself and this self-loathing that I couldn't escape from. Um, so it didn't matter that I was making money and got a husband. And it was like, regardless of that, I still like my life was still unmanageable. So it was, um, yeah, it was really sad. It almost got sadder as it went along. Cause it's like, now there's more at stake. And now like last summer, I was feeling like, oh God, now the next generation is at stake, right? Like I have alcoholism in my family and I know it infected our family. And now I'm like passing on this addiction, like living with an addict life, you know, even if I thought my kids didn't notice it because they're so young, but I knew I was like using my daughter as a drug mule to like get cookies out of the Whole Foods, you know, like there were just things that I did that I knew weren't going to get any better, you know, as she got, and my, as my girls got more cognitive and aware, it was like, I always felt this sense, you know, it's like in um, Bill's story when he says like my writhing nerves, you know, quicksand stretched, my brain raced on page six, my brain raced uncontrollably and there was a terrible sense of impending calamity, you know, like the remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. So here's a successful guy, right? Like he's, he clearly is a smart man who like came up with the 12 steps and wrote the big book. And like he, his brain does not serve him, right? That's what it was like. Like someone said on vision the other day, like we come from Yale, we come from jail, like from the park bench, from Park Avenue. Like it just, it does not matter. This is a democratic disease, right? Everyone is allowed, allowed to have this disease. And it, even if you're smart or competent or have got the world by the tail, like if this disease has got you in its clutches, it's got you. And I could not get, I could not get, I couldn't, I couldn't manage it. So I'll pass with that. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa. What are your thoughts on Thank that? You. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, you know, that idea of vampiring off of people, I, yeah, I, I completely relate to all of that. The, the, you know, yeah, I was competent, good earning capacity, and I made a point of 
of making sure everybody knew just how confident I was. Like I was on a mission to prove to you that just because, you know, just because this is what I look like, no, 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 please, this isn't me. You know, and, and someone shared that with me recently. They would actually tell people, well, I know that you see like this fat person here, but that's not really who I am. That's not what I am. Like I had to make sure everybody knew I wasn't as messed up as I really knew I was, right? And, and it was exhausting trying to be competent, you know? So I, I had a, I've had a successful career. Um, I was stealing candy from my students. I mean, how successful am I that I would be doing these wonderful cooking events with, with my class because it puts on a great show, by the way. Like if your class walks out in the halls with like the most incredible baked things that their teacher does with them, like, oh, everybody thinks you're amazing. Your administrators love you. The other parents are trying to get their kid in your class. You're something, right? Meanwhile, I am rummaging through the ingredients. Like, they didn't get a real gingerbread house. They got like the facade because I was eating most of the stuff that it took to create that house, right? You know, I'm, I'm the Girl Scout leader's mom, right? So we would do these great events where we were collecting old <laughs> Halloween candy that people want. And, um, and, um, that we were collecting Halloween candy from people and was supposed to be delivered to the troops, right? Overseas. Meanwhile, I have a, I'm driving around in my car, right? I've got a huge bag of candy that never made it anywhere. It never made it out of my car. Initially it was, well, I can't leave the chocolate in my car because it's gonna melt, right? I'm saving them, I'm saving them the melting candy. And then I eat the whole bag. Right. But I'm so confident. Right. I'm so like, I'm, you know, this big show and I'm living in a way I could not live in agreement with my own values. It's wrong to steal. Mm -hmm. It's even worse to steal from charity. Like what, what who am I, you know, and, um, and I couldn't help it. Like I couldn't help it. You know, I, I didn't just use my kids to get food but I used my kids doing well, looking well, to feel okay. Like if my kids looked good, if they were well-mannered, if they were precocious, if they were dressed adorably, if they were like leaders of all sorts of things, that mean that I'm okay too. So I was, yeah, I was, I was training them, not just to please me, but to be, little pleasers of other people. And God is so smart because he gave me kids that would not comply. <laughs> they were just not, they would not be their circus monkey for this mother. And, um, and that was a really, that was a blessing. That was a good thing for me. So yeah, that's what it looks like to be confident. It takes a lot of food. It takes a lot of food. Mm. Thanks. Okay. That was really, really, um, Really great answers from both of you. So, okay. So um, I'm going to gently put you on the spot a little bit. On the subject of God is so smart. I love how when Jen was qualifying, 
She spoke about the moment with Dean and how effective that was for her. And then in all of the perfection that is higher power, Melissa had a live situation with her husband. So in the spirit of conversations, both of you on mute, how does a conversation that the two of you have about, for instance, not being able to control whether or not your husbands interrupt you, what does a, com- a phone call between the two of you sound like on that, on that topic? Okay, this is me. Melissa, I'm not sure you should, you really want me to speak on this thing on Sunday. Um, let me tell you <laughs> like the 10th step I have to do about my husband. Uh, yeah, I mean, oftentimes we're, um, you know, Melissa says regularly, like we're not in the husband fixing business. Like we are not in the husband fixing business. Um, and, you know, I go back to, and we talk about like the grouch and the brainstorm is not for me. I am here to, um, to play the role that God assigns, you know, and I don't know. I think I seriously, I mean, I adore my husband. I have a very, um, I have a, I have an awesome husband and being filled up with toxic substances and toxic energy. I think I honestly could not see it because all I could see, it was like this negativity bias that we have as humans. Right. But then as active addicts, it's like, all I could see was why is he doing it that way? I was just hated myself so much that I took it out on him. And so my living amends to my husband is to say this prayer every day that I crib together from things I found on uh, Googling prayers for your husband. Um, And we talk about like, okay, like what, you know, we're not here. We're here to change. Like we're here to allow God to change our perspectives. Um, I don't know. What would you, what would you say? Maybe I'll (laughs) play off you. I think a lot of our conversation is we laugh, like we, there's humor there. Um, And that's, you know, um, because you married like the king of silly and so did I, right? And I'm, I'm the nag, like that's my role in this house. And I like, I'm the big nag, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the heavy, right? And he's fun. He's super fun and chill. And, and so what does it look like when we have those conversations? Like we have to remind ourselves together, side by side, like that, by the way, that's what happens. Like we walk shoulder to shoulder. It says like, you know, as you, as you continue, right? You day, day by day, you walk beside the man, right? So we're experiencing this stuff real time. It really happens. Um, and we're not in the, we're not in the fixing business. We're not in the husband fixing business. We're not in the kids fixing business um, because the common denominator in every single relationship that I struggle with is me. It's Mm -hmm. me. I'm the common denominator. And that's kind of what we point out to each other um, and find humor. There's something, there's something quite funny about it, you know, that, um, and that, that's when I found that I can actually have a great sense of humor. And one of the things that like, that, we both have sort of come to this understanding together as I do with anybody that I work with that has children and myself, unless somebody is in physical danger, I probably have to err on the side of zip it, of like, keep my mouth 
closed. You know, I don't know. I don't know everything. You know, like, so we would say early on, if the babies aren't drowning, if he's not leaving them unattended in the tub, if, if my, you know, if my, if my husband's not handing my daughter an open beer and giving her the keys to the car, I probably don't need to comment, you know, about it, right? I can probably just step aside. Um, that's what a lot of our, our conversations have been, like how to let other people be and, and the things that we don't like to put it in, put it in prayer and not to put the prayer that they'll change, right? But to put in the prayer that I will change, that my perspective on them will change, that I'll begin to see, you know, the beauty of it. Because I think like, how awful would it be if, if the kids had two parents that were king of silly? Right? Or how awful would it be if they had two parents that were the heavies, right? Mm -hmm. It's, there's gotta, there, maybe, maybe that's how it's supposed to be, right? Maybe that's how it's supposed to be. And that my role is to grow a little bit closer to, to that middle ground, you know? Um, yeah, so. One thing that we came clear as we worked together and as I grew in my prayer practice was really that, you know, we're not like, it's not that you go through the steps and then you're perfect and you don't have issues with like people in your life. That was like a huge revelation. I think that's in the just for today, today too. Like that um, when, like when sponsoring people, let them know that your like defects come back, like that you are, this is a work in progress. And so, you know, I like even yesterday, I had to like run out of the house to not be an a-hole and because I was really trying to not be an a-hole all week, of course, because I was going to talk to me. But I called, I called a friend. Uh, I don't know if she's on the line. And I, I just was like, ah, like he's doing this thing. And yet I didn't, like, I didn't stay and engage, you know, and turn towards him and do my werewolf thing, you know, where I'm like, ah, like, and think of him, like he's the problem. Because I really do have enough practice now with doing 10 steps to know he might like the lie I tell myself is that he's my problem or this other person's my problem. Like it's always a lie that they're the problem alone, right? That oftentimes it's my thinking about situations that causes me pain, that causes me to suffer. So as I like flung myself from the house <laughs> and then I came back, but, and then I had, I walked around the block. I had a huge laugh with my friend and then I came back and I was like, hi, honey. And he was like, do you talk to one of your buddies? I was like, yep. And he said, and this is so good. He's a funny guy. He said, we call them the sanity keepers. <laughs> I was like, that's true. Like that's the fellowship I crave is like people who can help me like keep sane. I don't know. Like I, I it, because, you know, he is not my problem. He's, he's not my problem and he's not the problem, right? It's like, I need fellows to bounce things off of, to be like, to remember that I'm not meant to shoulder this burden alone, you know, like calling a friend and having a laugh. And then that takes me to God, like um, in a way that just like sitting in my head and, you know, mental master planning about, you know, how it's going to be so much better when I move to Mexico with my children, <laughs> like that does not work. Um, so yeah, like, and I can get, I can, I can really get triggered by things, you know, 
and I, but I get to humor sooner. Like I'm a big first in first out inventorying person in the fridge. And my husband just like, when the new groceries come, he like opens up all the avocados. <laughs> like he just, like, we're so different. And, um, I, I've come to realize like, I don't have to say something like no one needs my lectures. No one needs a lecture today. And an avocado or like even five avocados is like, much cheaper than a divorce, right? So it's like, shut your mouth, Jen, sweetie. And, you know, um, like have a new heart. And I pray for a new heart. I pray for a new heart. Melissa told me early on, get a picture of your husband as a little boy and look at it. Like, look at it and think of who he is, like that tender heart and have that towards him. Thank him. Like I try to come up with ways I can like express gratitude. That's not my nature. You know, it's not what I was raised with or what was modeled for me, but I can do it. And then what I find like on the other side of restraint, right? Restraint of tongue and pen is this freedom and joy. Like I can actually, when I don't say something about the four avocados that are open, I like the sides of my mouth just curl up and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm not being an asshole today. Great. So I feel like I, I just, I'm so grateful for the program. I mean, and the food, like, yeah, that's like, that would be enough that I'm just neutral around food. But then it's like, I get to have this neutrality around other things, like, like my inventorying insanity. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and I don't have to be the person I don't want to be. I can be the wife and the mother that my family deserves. Thank you. That's wonderful. That was from the 12 and 12, page 91. Nothing pays off like restraint of tongue and pen. Thank I you. I love the. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I am just so into the conversation. That's what it is. I love hearing this conversation. And you know what else I love is that it really just leads into what I wanted to talk about next, which is, so you talked about, you're not in the husband fixing business. You're not in the people fixing business. You're not in the circumstance changing business you're in the reacting different business right so if we can't change other people other people excuse me what's the reason that we can't change other people i'm going to go back to the big book page 45 from um we agnostics again lack of power that was our dilemma right we can't change the husbands we can't change the people we can't change the circumstances we don't have that power lack of power that was our dilemma we had to find a power by which we could live and it had to be a power greater than ourselves obviously but where and how were we to find this power so you can't fix your husbands you can't fix your circumstances you don't have any power you've both spoken about personal prayers, specific prayers. Could you dig a little bit into both how you identified your higher power and how you communicate um, prayer and meditation or, or whatever that looks like for both of you? Okay. Your turn. <laughs> okay, it's my turn. I, I am not kidding. I Even the dog is barking today. <laughs> it's like... It's really funny. Okay, that's for me. That's how I find my higher power. Can you imagine? It's through, it's through, it's through laughter. It's through, there's, you know, life, we're supposed to be happy, joyous, and free. We're promised that. Happy, joyous, and free. And anything that keeps me from being happy, joyous, and free, 
I need to be, I need to ask God to help me get happy, joy, and free, you know, happy, joyful, and free again. Um, how do I connect to my higher power? Um, oh my gosh. It is, first of all, um, I used to think that, that you could um, leave the God part out of, of the 12 steps. And I heard somebody share that leaving God out of the 12 steps is like leaving out the, the stuff inside the flotation device, a life jacket that actually keeps you afloat. If you leave out the God, you leave out that stuff that helps you float, right? There is no program without the God stuff. So I had to find a power greater than myself, which would solve all of my problems by which I could live. And so for me, um, it is a serious, uh, I, I wanna say like, it, I have a great sense of humor, God, I find God in laughter, but I'm serious about seeking God. Like it's, it's, um, it is how I start my day. I do, I have to pray and meditate. Um, for me, I have like prayer practices that have to be um, real, prayer. Like I love some of the scripted ones. They're a great starting point, but I needed a relationship with power. I need, and I think about like a friendship, a companionship, which we're assured that's what we get, this, this consciousness of a companionship. So I needed to find a God that I could be friends with, that, that you know, I need it to be extraordinarily powerful, to be extraordinarily caring, um, and, and that's something that was available to me. And um, so if I want that kind of relationship, I have to cultivate it. Um, so I really, I found my relationship through the 12 steps. I took step after step and if done correctly, I feel it's sort of like walking up a flight of steps. Your foot is left dangling. You gotta put it down on the next step so that you continue on. Otherwise you're falling right back. And that's where my relationship with God comes. It's like in the moment when it's dangling above and I place it down and there's, there's God like right there to get me. And, and it gets stronger and stronger over time. So I, I love like creating prayers. I know Jen like talked about that, like that we talk about writing. I write prayers. I just, I, I have a problem. If you're a problem in my life. What does that sound like? What does oh. it sound like when you write a personal prayer? All right. So, uh, well, we did it. Jen and I did it right before we came, we came on. I'm going to say it like, you know, like this little bit of nervousness. So what does it sound like? It's like, okay, you know, my loving creator. I like to start off with my loving creator because that's how I feel. Um, you know, please help me. I'm, I'm feeling uncomfortable, right? I tell what it is I'm having discomfort about. And then I ask like all things, I really believe if I'm a connection with God, it's to be useful. So I ask God to show me how to be useful. And like, so it's, it's like, God, you know, I am really uncomfortable with my boss today, right? With what's going on in, in my workplace today. Please show me exactly how I can show up and be helpful to those I work with today. Please keep my mind, right, off of, I always ask for my mind to be like, redirected away from the drama of me and onto helping other people. Um, and I really, that's like a big one. If I can meditate, and I meditate on that. You know, if you meditate before for God to present someone in front of you who needs help, 
um, that person appears. They always appear. The circumstances always appear. And then I'm not consumed with the drama of me anymore. You know, that, and then I feel, I feel, a con I feel a closeness with my creator. I feel like I'm getting my marching orders. He's telling me what to do. He's showing me who to look at. I mean, I said to Jen before this talk today, I said, may my eyes rest on someone who needs help today. May I find their face. May I, you know, may I look at them. May they come to me, you know, come to us here. Like not, not that, I mean, we're joking that it's a talk show, but um, but that should be my purpose wherever I go and everything I do. And that's really what my prayer life looks like. That is so beautiful. And I just want to pause and pull out how you, you're, your seeking of God is about seeking an opportunity to be helpful and, you know, seek and ye shall find. Does the person present themselves or has our our focus on being a seeker allowed us to see what's there. So I just love how that came out. And Jen, I would love to hear about your personal identification with your higher power, how you came to that and how you, what your prayer and meditation life looks like in the 12th. Sure. So I, so this whole, the prayer thing was new to me or the personal prayer thing was new to me. I knew that I had mem already memorized the third step, the seventh step prayer. I said the St. Francis prayer, I had that memorized, but actually putting words to things that I was really lacking and what I really needed made it so much more personal. Um, I just remember this time going through the steps that I, I remember like it was still walkable weather in New England and I would go outside and I would just, I often have a child with me. I have two children under the age of five or they were under the age of five at that time. Now one of them's five going on 14. And um, just like feeling very overwhelmed. So that's one of my prayers, like as an overwhelmed, tired, like they get up at five sometimes, and they st you know, and then they're up in the night, like it's just kind of cuckoo sometimes here. And um, just being tired and feeling like I don't have any time to myself, especially during the pandemic. And I would just go outside, even if I was like pushing a child and my prayer would honestly be a physical posture of lifting my eyes to the sky. And I don't believe that God lives like up there or anything. I know he's within me, but it was just like, help me. You got to come here and you got to help me, you know? And it was like, it was just seeking union in a different way. Um, that was like a shorthand too. That also mattered. Like it doesn't have to be, I remember I used to do like 30 minutes of quiet time, but it was all compliance, right? It wasn't really surrender. Um, that now it's like, I don't set a timer necessarily. I, um, but I do, I say certain prayers. I always say the third step prayer. Well, in the morning, I'll just say exactly what I do in the morning. I say the 11th step, the on, upon awakening as a prayer, I say the third step prayer. I say the seven step prayer. And for the seven step prayer, I added my, I add my own defects. So I say, I got to say the whole thing. My creator, I'm now willing that you would have all of me good and bad. Please remove every single defect of character that stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows, including my negativity. Please help me to be positive, cheery, optimistic. My self-righteousness. Please help me to be human and have like have humility and humanity and have mercy towards others. Um, I mean, I free, that's like when I kind of free flow a little bit and um, negativity is always in there because <laughs> like, in the morning I'm like a curmudgeon under a bridge 
And it's usually way too early and people are up in my bed and I'm like, oh my God, really already? It's not even six. But I say the prayer and oftentimes I'm holding a kid and I say it actually this morning, I said the serenity prayer and just to keep me humble, my five-year-old, I say it with her and I'm like, I hope that's okay. <laughs> I'm like teaching her the serenity prayer. She'll probably be saying it in kindergarten. But we said, I said, God grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change. And then I say things like, like what? to her. And she said, like the fact that mom's crazy. And I'm like, Oh, good. That's good. That's great. Um, but we, you know, I, I involve them in the mix, um, somewhat to the sense appropriately. So I do the seven step prayer. Then I do the 11 step prayer and I have, um, and then I have set prayers. I always say a prayer for my beloved. Uh, and that's the one that I crib together that really, if I, if all I say is like, thank you, God, for giving me a husband whose strengths perfectly match my weaknesses. Like, please help me to affirm the good that you planted within him. Please help me to see him with a new heart and a new mind today. Help me to respect him and seek him when I need his counsel. And to remember that my way, this is an important part, guys, my way is not the only way. (laughs) Like, help me to be a teammate to my husband. So it's like, I don't, and I have those recorded um, because I don't like, those aren't my thoughts, right? I'm praying for that because I need help. I cannot do that on my own. And I really see that now. And what it does is it changes me and it might change me for just 40 minutes. And then he gets up, (laughs) but then I can pray it again. I can start over. And what I find is that um, seeking in this way, like not seeking on the internet and seeking different diets and all that stuff, but seeking this, like seeking the great mystery, which for me is what God is like, God is like all there is like it's the it's the seeking of mystery and um, spirit capital S that that means that when I do fumble because I do every day (laughs) when I do fumble that I bounce back quicker like Melissa shared that with me like it's not that we get you know amazingly like I don't levitate right at all Um, but when I fumble I can I never go to bed without like clearing up my side of the street. Um, And so I feel like that is such a gift. I'll be forever indebted for that, like in my life and how that's changed my family. Yeah, that's, I love that. And I I wanted to like jump back in there because the, the, the recording my prayers has really, that's something that I always share with people. And I just, I love it. Like I, you know, I need, um, we call it lots of, points of entry, like in education, right? The more, the more modes, the more ways you get something in the brain, um, the better it is, right? So for me, I record, I record my prayers and on my voice recorder function on my phone. Um, and I, um, and I press play every morning. I wake up and I press play and I do it with it. And when a prayer starts getting like it needs tweaking, I record it again. Um, I loved Jen's like busy mom prayer so much that she sent it to me. And I, incl- I listened to her say it in the morning. It's one of my prayers. Somebody just recently did a gorgeous seven step prayer. I love it. She sent it to me. I recorded myself doing doing that seven step prayer. And I just, I really recommend it. It's like a great way to get, to, to hear yourself pray, pray it, to do it together. And, you know, like I love 
so you do the serenity prayer with your son, with, with your daughter. And um, my son will sometimes come in the morning. He has, he has a hard time in the morning and he gets very anxious. And I, geez, no mistake, so did I. Like that was my whole life. You know, I just, I just used a different strategy, right? But I was always very anxious in the morning. And um, when he comes to me, you know, with full of anxiety and he's 14, he's almost 14. So I'll say like, come here, can I, can, can we pray? Can I pray? He has no interest in praying. So he'll sometimes stand there like, like dead weight, like just like in his 14 year old, he's bigger than me now. He's taller than me. He'll just sort of stand there and I'll, and I'll say, can I hug you? Can I hug you? And I pray. And he'll let me, he'll just like let me. And I, you know, and I hug him and I say the prayer. I just, whatever prayer I feel like I got to pray for him. And I always ask, like, like I ask God to help me feel God's presence. I ask like, please help, you know, help my son today. Like allow him to feel your presence, help his eyes rest on the person who he's supposed to be helpful, helpful for today. May you put someone in his path today who can best help him, you know, I don't know. They they kind of roll their eyes at me, my kids, but I believe that it's it's getting there anyway. Like I just feel like it gets in the blood. It's it's infused. Um, thanks. Makes well, me uh, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I um I love. I too record um, my prayers, and that's a perfect segue into the next uh, piece in terms of like, that's something that we've spoken about, that we've shared, that we've passed on. So um, at this point, I would like to open up the conversation to everybody who's here. Um, I'd like to take a moment to remind you that this is being recorded. And if you do speak during this meeting, you are giving your permission to have your voice on this recording. Um, we're not going to share at this meeting for, for our purposes today. I just want to know if anyone who's here would like to suggest a topic or ask a question um, really to, to join in this conversation. And I'll ask you also at this time to please remember that the opinions of the speakers are their own and do not reflect OA as a whole. So we are now open for suggestions. If you would please raise your virtual hand, which is either at the bottom of the participants window or in the reactions button, depending on your version of Zoom. What kind of questions or topics of recovery or big book? Um, we have the Unity Day topic, but also um, this is the added benefit if we have a sponsor and a sponsee. So if you wanna hear about um, working some of the steps. This is the moment um, where the meeting is opened up. Um, if anyone would like to ask a question or suggest a topic. If you don't wanna have your voice heard on the recording, please feel free to type it in the chat and we'll read it out loud. Um, while we're waiting for the questions to come in, Jen, in the last answer you were talking about when I fumble and both of you have spoken about um, what it's like to uh, be a human and have difficulties. Um, can you just give an example of the kind of thing you've had to, you know, maybe it can be something small, but just the kind of thing you've had to take to a 10th step 
somewhat recently something that that makes you both human and as soon as we're done with that we'll go answer the questions sure um well i today i did a 10 step on a fear of speaking at this meeting um yesterday i had one about yeah but i can't remember even what it was with my husband um which is a miracle because that sort of thing I would pile away like a squirrel, you know, like I'm going to bring that up, not out later. Um, Melissa, do you have any in your mind? And I will think of one. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I mean about you. Do you want to yeah, do yeah, good, good. Yeah, for me, absolutely. So um, yeah, I have one for about my sister-in-law who sent me um, a text last night that her and my brother are going to see my mother again in Florida, made that now I know that this is the third time that they've gone in the last year. Um, and I haven't because I'm not flying yet. <laughs> I'm waiting. And, um, and so there's a lot of like, and, my, and I get like a text. So yes, I had to do a 10 step because I feel um, like I got defensive. Um, I wanna like explain myself away. And then I'm also, I'm also getting from my mother, her perspective. She doesn't really want my brother or my sister-in-law to come. So I have to be careful not to get in gossip there. And it's like, I am, um, I, I'm like, I have to refrain from being the puppet master because I want to like tell my mother what to say to my sister-in-law and brother that invites them to, come, you know? Yeah, so those are the kinds of things I have to do. Like, God, please like help me, um, get out of the business of managing other people to say only nice, only nice things. Um, yeah. And not, um, not get in there, <laughs> not get in there with other people <laughs> because if only they would do what I know they should do, everybody, including myself would be happy. Right. So how often do you fumble? How often, I mean, you're a recovered person with a strong program and you're also a human being. How often do you find yourself rising to the bait, even in a small way these days? Much less, much less. Okay. Fact, yeah, much less. I did not. I was able to restrain myself. I was. Um, I, I only gave, um, I gave the answers to the questions that I was being asked by both sides and I did not um, interpret. I mean, I did because I'm doing it here, but I didn't to them. I didn't tell each other what each other was meaning. I didn't like, I, so I'm, I know that there's an improvement there. And here's like, here's how I know that I'm even getting better at it even more. I'm one of five siblings. I didn't call any of my other siblings to gather up the troops to get, you know, um, cause that's the game I used to play all the time. And so I, yeah, restraint, like I didn't say a word about it to anybody, um, except for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> and Jen, actually, you gave us a great example when you talked about walking around the block and having the, uh, the sanity keepers. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do actually want to move to, we have a raised hand for the question. Would you like to, uh, unmute and suggest your topic or question? Hi, my name is Niji and I am a compulsive overeater. Um, I really don't have a question. I just want to thank both of you for an absolutely wonderful, wonderful afternoon. Um, I do a 10 step with two other people every night. We share it and it's changed me. 
Um, and I love the way you have shared in such conversational way, the way it sounds like you pray to your God. It was wonderful. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. That's beautiful. We actually have a few questions in the chat. I'm going to go through those. Uh, first one, how did you work or how did you work the fifth step over pandemic? Did you Zoom? Did you FaceTime? Did you phone? How do you, how do, you do that in this new landscape? How did the two of you do it? We just did it on the phone and it was several hours and I think a few, yeah, it was a few different times. Like we met a few in a few sessions and it was good because, you know, it was the language of the heart. And um, yeah, I've heard since that people do it on Zoom, um, but we really, I, I, like it did the trick <laughs> on the phone. Great, thank you. Um, Next question, question for both joyous speakers. Do you still have cravings for your alcoholic foods? And if yes, how do you approach these bedevilments? Mm. I do not have cravings for my foods. I like, I could cry. I honestly could cry. Um, I do have a craving every 24 hours to be an a-hole. I know Amy loves it when I say that. Um, <laughs> but I don't have cravings for the food. I don't know. I got entirely abstinent this time. There were a few, well, there were just lingering things in my food plan that I, when I came around this time, I knew I had to put down all my toys. And um I'm just going to say it for me, one of them was caffeine and decaf. And I was like, cause I was winding up and look, I was knocking myself out. And then it was like, <laughs> you know, I'd get up at 3 AM and start like, start my show, the gen show. And by the time my kids and my husband would come down, it'd be like the raccoon, like in like behind the trash barrel in the back of the garage. Like I'd be like, ah, <laughs> like, why is everyone not happy that I'm cleaning the house at 5 AM or something? So I, I got entirely abstinent and that made such a difference. It made such a difference. Like from the jump, it was, um, I was really surrendered because it was, I just felt like, I felt like my bottom was so low for, for me. Um, and so getting entirely absent, I didn't, I don't have cravings and I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. Melissa? Same thing. I have, I don't have cravings. I mean, that's just, that's how we know that this is a, that this is a, a miracle, that this mm -hmm. is miraculous, that you can go. That was my experience to go from being owned by food, right? Unable to keep myself from stealing food mm -hmm. um, to anything could be in this house, anything. And it is like, I don't, no one has to keep anything away from me. Nobody has to hide anything, um, not at all. In fact, I like I had an, a really awesome, about a couple years ago, I was going someplace and I was, I cleaned out the middle console of my car and I realized that there was like a bag of candy that I had put there to, I was actually bringing it to my class. I had forgotten that I had bought it a number of years ago that it was, I was driving around in my car. Like that is unbelievable that I, at one time I couldn't not eat what didn't belong to me mm. to now not even remembering that I had it in the car. Um, 
I know I really, I don't, I don't crave anything. The only, the only thing that I would say that, that has sometimes has happened is the desire for more, you know, sometimes it's like, I, you know, and that's why I'm a big, I weigh and measure my food because mm -hmm. sometimes I will weigh it and it, and it's on my plate and I will say, oh my, this is never going to be enough. This isn't enough. My scale's got to be broken. Right. Um, but I know from having experienced that, um, it is not, my hunger is not a data source that I can rely on and neither sometimes are my eyes. Like I can't, I can't rely on it. Therefore, I have a food plan that is not of my own making and a scale. And for me, whenever I, I occasionally have that thought, like this isn't enough, um, I have the understanding step one of that I, my mind is broken. But even that, is extraordinarily, extraordinarily rare. Um, thanks. Yeah, and I'll add, so I, I, I should say like when I handle a lot of food that's not mine because I have two young kids and you know, during the pandemic we had my mother's 70th birthday out back and I'm hosting and you know, there's cake and ice cream and um, when, every once in a while when I'm handling something like at lunch actually they were eating leftovers pasta and whatever and I smelt it and I had the like whiff of oh but it, I really have the recoil so it's not an active craving it's like just a natural sensory experience to you know something and I but I don't have a thought to like oh I'm gonna eat that or I want to eat that it's like I actually live in those 10-step promises of um like when tempted we recoil from it as from a hot flame and I don't, I'm not cocky about it. Like, I'm not going to go out of my way and like take a bath in the linguine, right? I'm not going to do any, I'm not going to eat off my kids' plates. I'm not, but I, I'm also not afraid. I don't have to live in fear. I don't, there's no more of what I used to do, which was like 90 meetings in 90 days and get all that stuff out of here. Everyone has to eat on a weighted, measured, abstinent food plan in the house. No, it's like, there's kid food, there's man food, there's, and then there's gen food. <laughs> so um, it's, it, but it's not cravings, um, which is a miracle. That is wonderful. There is a solution and it works. That's what, no matter where you come from, it's a common solution. And you both had a common result in that the promises came true. That's beautiful. Unity day. Thank you so much for staying on theme with your answers. Perfect. Um, I'm going to take one more question out of chat and then we'll go to some raised hands. Um, this is a great question. Um, I'm a compulsive eater slash restrictor. I had a high bottom. It's now time for me to start sponsoring for the first time. I'm afraid that I won't know how to help someone who's a compulsive overeater who had a low bottom. I know the disease is the same for all of us. It just expresses itself differently, but I'm still afraid I'm not equipped. Can either of you speak to this? Thank you. I'll go. So yeah, I think um, I, you are equipped. If you've been through the steps and you're recovered, you are equipped. So I went through the steps the same way that Melissa went through the steps and they worked for both of us. So I don't um, I don't fear that, uh, because it's not gonna, I don't have that kind of power. Like, I think that fear emerges from, oh, like if I 
get someone who's obese and then they don't recover. It's like on me or my fault or whatever. It's no, it's like, for, I truly believe that if, if someone wants to recover, it doesn't matter what the sponsor says or does. Like it's important information, but like they're going to find a way. Cause when I came, like when I got absent this time, I was working a food plan that was, I was working a food plan and a set of tools. And I knew I was like, I got to find it. I got to find, I got to find the message of depth and weight. And um, that's what the doing the steps did for me. So, you know, I would do a 10th step and, um, you know, call me if you want to talk to me personally, I'm happy to, uh, talk to you directly, but I don't fear that because people are going to be attracted to your message. And I think that, you know, the liquor, the bottles are but a symptom, right? So if you talk, you, if you tell your story about how you felt and how you were living and the feeling, again, the language of the heart is the same. Beautiful. Thank you, Melissa. I'm sure you have thoughts on that. Yeah, I'd love to I hear that. Thank you. So I think, you know, whenever we sponsor somebody, we have to remember that um, we came here because we were powerless to our disease. So if I'm powerless to my disease, I am 100% powerless to everybody else's. And so all I really need to do is show the other person how it is that I established a relationship with a power greater than myself, right? Because that is what's going to be in charge. It's the higher power that's going to be in charge of, of, of this person getting well and their willingness to do whatever it takes to find that higher power. So um, sometimes I think actually, um, in some ways, when the food is down, you know, or a person isn't heavy anymore, they're even possibly, you know, and they're ready, they're even easier to sponsor because they're not thinking, well, when I lose weight, everything's going to be great again. And if I can just lose weight, then everything will be great again. If you can just help me lose weight, everything will be great again. They've already their, their God is not going to be the weight loss anymore. The God, the God of the scale is gone right, of, the, of their body scale is gone. So they sometimes in some ways they know that they're even in a, in a more dangerous position. Um, they, they require something even, you know, it, it's clearer to them. Um, you know, I would, if you got well, that's what you have to offer, right? How you got well, what you did to get well, what you're doing to stay well, um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, we're going to go to a couple of our raised hands now. Um, will the next person in line who I texted or who I messaged, would you please unmute and ask your question? Hi, everybody. Um, I don't have a specific question. This is just incredible, both of you. Um, what I wanted to speak to is um, the, the, this format, I think, is so, so valuable. So I think any recovery-based topic, step, any, anything would be so well served in this format. Great job, ladies. Thank you. So really oh. inspired. Thank you. I'm so glad that this is working. And, and thank you for your comments. Um, the next person with your hand raised. 
um, in the interest of anonymity for the recording, I'm just not saying names. Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, um, Melissa and Jen. I just wanted to ask a question about page 84, um, where it talks about um, we have entered the world of the spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for a lifetime. And I would just um, love to hear your experience, strength, and hope on, on your growth and um, not necessarily how long it took, but, um, you know, maybe you could see, you can see how you actually saw your growth and you knew you were growing. I, I hope that's clear. Yeah, I, I, so I would say how I know, I love that. Thank you, Beverly. So how I know that I'm growing in understanding and effectiveness is um, that I want to be understanding and not understood, right? Because that I, I used to feel really um, owned by, um, I thought, so when I was living in morbid obesity, I thought that someday when I'm thin, right? Cause it was always someday when I'm thin, I'm going to have a voice. I'm gonna be able to not be this doormat. Cause I thought in my mind, I was a doormat. I was never a doormat, <laughs> I thought I was. And I thought I'm gonna find my voice and I'm gonna get understood and people, you know, and, and I was also told that, um, and I don't know where I picked it up was that, um, that to be strong you know, don't let anybody walk on you. You put yourself out there. And um, and that is, you know, actually I found in recovery is the exact opposite, that I do not, strength actually comes from, from this more. I don't have to be understood. I have to be understanding. And I see it often in the workplace. Um, like I said, I used to have to be on like the leadership team. I used to, I mean, used to, I, anybody that sees my inventory is going to be like, really? You mean last week? <laughs> like, but I know it's getting better. I know it's getting better because I, I used to come into combat all the time with some women I work with who are good people, but, but I was constantly, they were constantly on my inventory because, because they don't like me, you know? And meanwhile, I'm constantly having to have my thoughts, my opinions, my perspective, cramming it down their throat, they better understand the way that I see things. And what I find more and more is I'm quieter with them. It's okay. You know, this is like probably the 10th boss I've had in I don't know how many years. She has no idea that I used to be on any kind of leadership team. She thinks I'm just some other old lady teacher who's like on the other side of almost retiring. And, and that is so good. It's so like, I am so okay with that. I don't need to sell anybody. My, my employer is, that's my employer. I just happen to have another one that I show up to to work. I just have to do an honest day's pay, honest day's work for an honest day's pay. But that is not my God anymore. The approval of other people and getting my voice heard there is not my God. Um, that's really how I see that I'm growing in understanding and effectiveness. That's beautiful. Jen, thoughts? Yeah, I, I, uh, first of all, I think that's just such a beautiful passage. Thank you for the question. Um, I think, how do I know that I'm growing and understanding and effectiveness? Um, 
Well, I think the, the easy one is like, I'm not eating my face off when people don't stay on my script, right? But then that was always what I would do before. Like I stopped so many times, like I am someone who came, right? And I came in and out and in and out. And so I stopped so many times. I was always getting out of a bad place, but not necessarily getting into a good one, you know? Like, so the difference now is I'm in a good, I'm in a good place. Most of the time it's like the waters are calm in my home and in my workplace. I always, it was always good at work because I would just, kill it at work and do such a great job but then I'd come home and it'd be like you know like the mad scientist like banging and all kinds of but now um you know I really I really try to be emotionally sober and now anyone who sees my inventories is like really Jen <laughs> but I I aim high right we aim high and and I feel like God has my back like God wants me high, like not high, high, but God wants me, like he wants me aiming high um, because, you know, like it's more, the other, oh, so the reason that occurred to me first when you asked the question was, how do I know? Because I have more fun. There is no fun, right? I used to eat these fun size candies, right? Like the fun size bars of candy. And I used to think this is not fun. There's like, this is a lie. This is false advertising. There's nothing fun about this size. Cause I just keep on eating them. And now I like have replaced that with like real fun, like the fellowship of the spirit, like with my fellows, but also like with my family, you know, like every night. So we started a few months ago in my family. Well, early on in the pandemic, we realized we were going to lose our minds if we didn't start dancing. So this is totally related to recovery because every night I found this song that my almost two-year-old loves. We all love it. It's Megan Trainer. Who doesn't love Megan Trainer? And every night, pretty much every night after dinner, we have a dance party, like just to one song, but we like let it hang out. Like you gotta, that was not happening, right? When I wasn't growing and understanding and effectiveness. And the other thing we started doing like a couple of months ago, we started at the beginning of our meal. We always say a prayer and hold hands. And, um, you know, we just say like what we're thankful for. And we're always trying to get the kids to say something. And they're always like rolling their eyes like, oh, God, these two. And so what we started doing, you know, was we started doing a big three big size, right? So this is more from being like, <sighs> to like, now we all yell three times. <laughs> so we're always like, <sighs> it's like a pandemic cry like we're all in this together <laughs> we just let it all out before we have our meal together and so but it's fun like the kids end up laughing I end up laughing like we snort and everything and it's like the how do I know that I'm in the you know in the realm of the spirit um because I truly believe like laughter like one of my favorite authors says that laughter is carbonated holiness and I believe that like laughter, like just brings, it brings the spirit up, right? It's like carbonated. It's just like, you just get out of self, like free me from myself. Um, and I will say also that the, you know, it's not by coincidence that the next line after that quote you gave is continue to watch, right? Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Like it's like, <laughs> cause that's what you gotta do to stay understanding and effective. And I think before, when I was looking at people who had like 20 years of abstinence, I just thought that they, again, that they were like levitating and that they weren't working on themselves anymore. But that is a total delusion. You know, this is, I can't stay clean on yesterday's shower and I can't stay um, 
spiritually grounded on yesterday's prayers. So I'm, um, I'm, I'm grateful for a program of action that works. I just Wonderful. love Ooh, that. Sorry, no, go ahead. I just gotta say like the difference between like having like young, young kids and like kids that are older. So my dance, cause I love to dance too. And I wanna be in your house at that time when your kids are dancing because mine, they are like, oh my God, we're dancing. Like, 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 what are you? I mean, most of the time they're like, oh my God, like, what is with you? Like, or my, my son will be like, don't do that in public, okay? Like, don't do that in public. Cause I'm like, I'm twerking. I'm like crazy, I'm a crazy person. And they're like, oh, like, don't do that crap. Um, anyway, but that's, I think that's growing in, in like, that's growing in the spirit. I want to celebrate like every day that I'm alive. It feels like a, like a dance party. It feels like joy. We are not a glum lot. We're not. Mm -mm. Right here in recovery. I have another question from the chat that I'd like to hopefully be able to squeeze in here. Um, because it's a nice general question. How did you work? the steps and how long did that take? So how long did it take to go through the steps? Well, as an example of the two of you together, but maybe Melissa, you can also speak to like, you know, generally when you sponsor. Go ahead, Jen. Uh, so we worked the steps. I, I think I was recovered within, it was like six to eight weeks. I worked really hard and fast. I felt like, because I knew I was running, I was running from a, like a, from a lion. And, um, so I did, as soon as she, she would flip me an assignment and I would write it all and I would read it all and I would do it all. And then we'd talk and we would just, we were moving at a, a very fast clip. She also happened to be off for, but she was, she wasn't back at school yet. So I really took advantage of that and was like, okay, I know she's going to go back to school in September. So, um, so I think it was like six to eight weeks, um, but the promises like, you know, started coming true even throughout the process, but we worked them, um, worked them quickly. Yeah, and I, I would say like, um, when someone wants to get well, when they're ready, it, 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 that's how it happens. It's, you know, it's like, it's fast right? It's years and years and years and years and years out there. And then once you make that decision and you're like all in, it generally can go really fast for people because first of all, the food is down, right? It's down. And, and it's like, it gets really clear. I need to get access to something because mm -hmm. this isn't going to last. This is not going to last. And the desire to get there becomes overwhelming. Um, and so when I work the steps with someone, it's through a series of readings, of assignments, of writings, of listening, of going through the work together. Like I say, like we work with, it says to work with the person. I don't work on her, right? We don't work on anybody. We don't work for anybody. We work with. So however quick they're, they're ready to go, um, you know, meet them there. Um, and, but usually I, if somebody's taking too long, I will gently say like, tick, 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 your willpower, mm -hmm. it's gonna run out. It will run out. It has an expiration date, so. 
Okay, so on that sort of topic from that, Melissa, you said that you sponsor with a specific set of readings, questions, I understood that correctly. Jen, you were sponsored to, re to recovery from Melissa. Do, how much of that do you replicate? How much of, you know, again, you work with somebody, you are not Melissa. So how, how much of that is from how you were sponsored and how much of it is from your own experience, um, if either of you would like to to speak to that? Oh, it's 100% the same. It's like, because it's very distilled. I got no new material. And she didn't either between 2016 and 2020. It was like, I actually went back and I looked and it was like, she sent me the same things, like the same, yeah. th I think I got to step two or three. Um, and I feel like, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Of course, I add my own flair um, with, you know, everyone has their own experiences, but um, it's the steps. And it's not even necessarily that these questions are, it's not, it, yeah, it's like not necessarily that these questions or these assignments are the only way. It's just like getting through the steps, step one, two, three, or all the way through in order, entirely abstinent. That's what works. Melissa, do you have anything to add on that subject? What do you mean I didn't, I, I didn't change anything since then? <laughs> no, but I, you know what? That's perfect, yeah. though, yeah. because we're talking about a common solution. Absolutely. So the solution, do, solution doesn't change. But that being said, Melissa, and something that you said, Jen, that you bring your own flair to it, right? So if the big book is an instruction manual set in a specific narrative of these alcoholics from the 1930s, Melissa, how, what do you do to bring your narrative to this common solution and these things like as, you're, as you sponsor, like wh where, where is it, this is non-negotiable and where is it, this is my opinion? Okay, so as far as direction, like when I, so, yeah, I don't negotiate directions because I only have one set of directions and, and um, I'm not changing the set of directions. What might change, because the objective is the same, right? It's always gonna be the same. Um, and so the directions for achieving that is always gonna be the same, but some people need greater scaffolding and support on each thing. And so that's where I would say, like sometimes somebody's got like a real problem with, um, with this concept of God. They're, they've like struggled with it, this conception. So we might spend a little more time and I might really pull out and discuss some of my own experiences with finding a higher power. I might give them a little bit of a different twist, like, you know, of, of assignments that might support them and build them on that. Um, but the steps are the steps. Those are the same. It's just depending on where they might need some greater, greater support. Um, yeah. And I'll add that I, um, that wasn't a slam on Melissa being boring or something. That was actually incredibly comforting that like, oh, it's still the same. Like I knew I went back and now it's three and a half years later, she's still singing the same song. You know, like <laughs> her life has progressed. Her kids are three years older. Her, you know, it's like, but she's still abstinent. She's still recovered. And she still has this, it's still the same way. It's not that I have to like guess at this, you know? I, so I think um, that that's what I, I, I offer the same thing. It's like, it worked, it worked for me. Um, 
and I think it can work for anyone. I know it can. That's that's beautiful and I fully agree. I fully agree and that's the message that we're here to carry today in terms of unity day. We might have we might come at this from different places, but um this can work for all of us. Um, before we close, I guess I have one uh, last question. Melissa, you said that you, uh, rather Jen, you said it took about uh, six to eight weeks, give or take for you to, you know, feel that you were able to call yourself recovered. Melissa, how long did that process once you started working the steps out of the big book, what, what was that timeline like for you? And then as a follow up previously, the way that you sponsor, is that the way that you were sponsored or have you developed something different? So the timeline and then... Yeah, so I, um, no, I was not exactly sponsored like this. Like I, I was, I had many sponsors along the way. Um, and then I, I hit, um, I hit a point where I knew I needed like more. I needed a big book. So, you know, I needed something really from the big book and I had met um, someone who on a, on a retreat had a very specific way of doing it. And I took that and I actually took that to my sponsor. I was like, this is how, this is how, this person is doing like this. Can we do it like this? And she was, um, she was someone who had um, recovered in AA. And so she was very, she was like, yeah, she was very open. And we did it that way together. I, um, I came back in like really like I knew I needed something in a, in February and I, I, it was a short amount of time before I recovered. It was fast. It really was fast because um, yeah, I, I probably was like eight weeks, maybe six to eight weeks. Like I, it was all I did. It was, it was my, I knew I was tick, 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 tick. I could feel it like breathing down my neck and I just, I wanted to be free. I just, more than anything. Um, and it was, and, and I would say like anybody who's, you know, um, wavering or whatever, that if you think you're going, and this is what I found out, I was not going to fit recovery into my pre-existing life. That was not how it works. It was, my life is a fucking, it's a mess. Excuse me, it's a mess. I need a new life. I need a new structure for my life. And my life was going to have to fit into this new structure. Um, and when you have that mindset, it happens, in my experience, very quick because it's your priority. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jen and Melissa, for your service today in outlining how it may seem like many symptoms, but we have one solution. Um, thank you, Kira, for your hosting and watching everything in the background. Please mark your calendars and join us again on Saturday, March 20th, where we'll be having a trudge talk, conversations along the broad highway, young persons edition. Um, where we'll be speaking about how young people come into recovery and how they um, go through uh, the steps in, again, a way that is a common solution. If you are a young person, if you sponsor young people, if you do outreach to young people, if you know young people, please come join us for the conversation. 
I want to thank everyone so much for joining us here today. It is um, really a privilege. Thank you for allowing me to be your moderator today. And if we could please everyone who would like to unmute after a moment of silence for those who are still struggling in and out of the rooms, will you please join me in the serenity prayer? God, grant me serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to cherish the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Keep coming back. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.